So I want to dive in. I want to dive into uh, Psalm chapter uh, 6. As we finished up uh, the first part of the year, we spent 16 weeks in the book of Mark. Um, and, and it fit all the way through uh, uh, Lent, through Lent into Easter. And it was super fitting for us to go through this, this one book, this gospel. Um, but as we thought about what would be appropriate for us now uh, in this season, it seemed completely obvious that we should land ourselves in this book of Psalms, this Old Testament uh, book of poetry and song. And why we think that's important is that there's 150 of these poems and songs. And they speak to the totality, the totality of the human experience. Um, Every emotion um, is in the Psalms. Every feeling, every experience, um, it's all there. It is the width and breadth of the human experience. Uh, Half of the Psalms are praises and half of the Psalms are laments. uh, And that speaks to us and the things that we're wrestling with and dealing with. Um, uh, and, uh, And they are, these songs uh, were meant to be sung. The poems were meant to be recited. Uh, and so um, e- even in Jesus's day in the first century, it's said that the book of Psalms would have been the hymn book that Jesus and his followers and the followers of Yahweh would have sung from. Uh, Jesus quotes the Psalms uh, more than any other book in his, uh, that's recorded in his four gospels. Uh, he uh, he uh, quotes the Psalms up to like 12 times. And he, he drew from them. He found hope in them. Um, uh, and so I hope that it can do that for us now. Um, the Bible uh, 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 is put together in different genres, and this is a genre of poetry. Uh, and I think that in this state right now, uh, there's an opportunity for these poems to really speak to us and speak on our behalf. Um, there are also prayers, but the book of Psalms does not teach us how to pray, but instead it shows us what conversation with God can look like uh, in rhythm, in habit, over and over and over. Uh, and so this morning we get to look at Psalm 6, which is referred to as one of the penitential psalms. And what that means is that there are seven psalms um, of penance. And penance is this idea where we can uh, confess um, our, our, our sorrow for our sin, our humility before God, and we express um, uh, our, our regret and our sorrow and then uh, an opportunity to receive God's forgiveness and then to turn from that. And so there's an opportunity for us today as we dive into this to deal with Psalm 6 that deals with fear and anxiety, uh, anger, disappointment, um, discouragement, uh, but yet also finds um, the hope that we're all searching for. It finds that place of um, redemption and restoration. Um, I love um, what Tim Keller wrote. He wrote a, 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 he and his wife wrote a book, a, a daily devotional through the Psalms. And in it, uh, in that devotional, he writes this. I think it's worth reading. He says, the Psalms then are not just a matchless primer of teaching, but a medicine chest for the heart and the best possible guide for living. He goes on to say, the Psalms help us see God, not as we wish or hope him to be, but as he actually reveals himself. The descriptions of God in the Psalter are rich beyond beyond human invention, for he is more holy, more wise, more fearsome, more tender, more loving than we could ever imagine him to be. And listen to this. He says, the Psalms fire our imaginations into new realms, yet guide them towards the God who actually exists. 
This brings a reality to our prayer lives that nothing else can. And I think that that's what's happening, is that as we read these psalms, we get to find ourselves in these poetic stories, and we begin to realize that these words can be our words, and these words cry out to God, and God hears these words. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going we're gonna to break down Psalm 6 in just a four uh, sections, kind of how it's divided. I want to read through all of them, make a few observations, but I think there's a really big aha moment at the end that I kind of want to land the plane on. And so as we read this, I just want us to get an understanding what's happening. So um, let's look at Psalm uh, 6 verses 1 uh, through 3. And so we're going to put that slide up for us so we can all see that if you don't have your, uh, the Bible in front of you. Uh, and so Psalm 6 uh, verse 1 through 3 reads this. It says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is deep, is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? And so even when we see this in the beginning, we, uh, the first thing that we notice is this, is that David is reaching, is speaking to the Lord, and he's saying this, um, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've fallen short of um, your law. I know I've fallen short of you. I know uh, that my sin um, that I'm guilty of my sin. But he says, um, but don't rebuke me or discipline me in your anger or wrath. And see, this is our projection sometimes of God. There's this idea that God would be angry at us and would want to um, uh, crush us under his anger or wrath. And if we understand the gods of antiquity, the gods of antiquity were always angry with, their, with creation. And these false gods that uh, these other nations were worshiping um, were slaves to their gods. And their gods, they said, would um, rebuke and discipline them under anger and wrath. And there's a very human response to this idea that, that's almost deserved. But David is saying to God, I, I, I can't have you that way. I, I might think that you're that way, but I need you to be really who you are. And really who you are is that you are not a God that is going to rebuke or discipline me under wrath. Now, he doesn't say he doesn't deserve correction or discipline. But he wants that done out of, um, out of love and not out of wrath. And I think that's important as David starts to engage God in his sin. But then he says, have mercy on me. And what he's asking for with that word mercy is that he wants forgiveness. He wants restoration. And then he does something beautiful, beautiful in this poem. He says, my bones are in agony and my soul is in anguish. And what he does there is that he's creating bookends. And what he's saying from bones to soul and everything in between. He's saying the whole of myself is in agony. My body, my soul, my mind, my spirit, my emotions, my heart, my head, everything is being crushed. And then he says, how long, God, how long before you return to me? How long before you come to me and you forgive me? And so David is in anguish. Let's look at the next section, which is verses four and five, and see what he, now he, he acknowledges before God um, his position, and now he asks God something. He says, God, turn, Lord, then, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? And so the first thing he says after acknowledging his sin and his need for mercy, he says, God, I need you to return to me. And in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, the Hebrews understood that there were three critical actions uh, between themselves and the Lord. God would give these three commands throughout the Old Testament. Remember, repent, and return. And return is, is one of them. And so God would say, remember me, I'm the, God, the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. 
repent of your sin and return to me. It also shows up in the New Testament in the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Remember, he goes away, he remembers God, he repents, and then he returns to his father. And there's this rhythm of remember, repent, and return. And David has remembered, and David has repented, but he says, God, I need you to return to me. And I think that what David is saying here is that in the midst of my sin, I'm having a hard time finding you. Because our sin separates us from God. Our sin cuts us off. It, it's, it's like trying to walk through the dark. It's like it's trying to walk through the fog. We know he's there, but we're having, David's having a hard time um, um, specifically seeing him and hearing him and finding him. And so his plea is that God would actually return to him. And there's a boldness in this prayer that God would return to him. And he says, and save me. Salvation comes from your unfailing love. Now, the, the word for unfailing love is this word hesed. And uh, the Hebrews had two words that were critical to their identity. Uh, shalom, which we've spent a lot of time at Warehouse talking about, which is um, like, um, like holistic peace. But hesed is often defined, maybe your book says unfailing love. Maybe it says mercy, steadfastness, steadfast love. Hesed is a really difficult word in English to translate because it is so deeply, deeply, deeply profound and layered. Uh, but I love uh, the definition of loyal love. Even though it's more than that, I love the definition of loyal love. And the reason I love this is because I think it really speaks to um, what, uh, um, what's happening in God's hesed and his unfailing love to us. There's a theologian, uh, he's a professor that I really admire. His name is Ian DeGuid. And I read a little bit um, about um, this word hesed. I learned a lot from him on this word. But he says this. This is, it's, it's, a, it's a few sentences long, so bear with me here. But he said this, Yet the most precious use of the word hesed in the Old Testament is a description of what God does. Having entered a covenant relationship with his people, God bound himself to act towards them in certain ways, and he is utterly faithful to his own self-commitment. The Lord's hesed will never let us go. In the midst of life's trials and tragedies, we can cry out to our loving Lord in confidence that nothing in creation can ever separate us from the loyal love that chose us before time began, is sanctifying us in the present, and will faithfully bring us to our eternal home. And I think that's it. There's a loyalty to this love. God is so loyal in his covenant to us that he cannot break his relationship with us. God cannot break his relationship with you. And so when David cries out, save me, he is saying, you're going to save me, or you can save me, and you will save me, because your love is so deep and profound and loyal that it, it cannot let go of me. And that is a strength and a love and a truth that David understands about God's reality. And that loyal love of God is what saves us. And the greatest embodiment of Hesed was Jesus Christ incarnate. He is the loyal love of God. He was loyal to God's will. He was loyal to the Father's call. He was loyal to us. He was loyal uh, to the cross. He was loyal to death. He was loyal to his resurrection. And he is loyal as king of the universe. That is God's love. It is unfailing, steadfast, never breaks. Yesterday, today, and forever cannot be broken love. And that loyalty and love is what saves us. And David names it. But he also says something weird in there, and we'll just quick word on this. He says, um, 
Uh, he says, among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? There's, there's a little, just a quick note on that. In the Old Testament, it's, it could be a little uh, unclear, um, uh, the, the, the Hebrew idea of what happens in the afterlife. And that theology just progresses over time. And it, it, there are sometimes it seems really, they, they feel really confident in their description. And other times it's really muddy. This is, seems to be one of those moments where David's um, understanding of the theology of the afterlife has not yet um, matured, evolved. And, and in the Old Testament scriptures are just a little unclear of the afterlife. And so when he's, his idea is that the body is in the grave and isn't doing anything until God returns, until the Messiah comes. And so there's a little bit of that going on. But Jesus is, goes into a lot of unpacking of the afterlife. But just to note, it will progress over time. All right, let's go to um, uh, verse 6 and 7, uh, which uh, this is where, so now David, uh, in a sense, is saying, um, I cried out to you, you heard me, I acknowledge my sin, and you saved me because of your hesed. And now we, this, is, this is where David just begins to unpack, like, the raw emotion of his reality. He says this, for I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping, and I drench my couch with tears. Um, my eyes grow weak with sorrow, and they fail because of all my foes. And this is why the Psalms are so, so important. They're using, David is using words, the author is using words here that many of us are experiencing. There are a lot of us, a lot of us in this season that have wept a lot of tears, that have cried and flooded our homes, our chairs, our couches, our beds with raw emotion. There is a lot of fear and anxiety and oppression and depression that is happening to us in this season. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of unsettling. There's a lot of frustration. Many of us in this season have been worn out because of the emotional state that we find ourselves in. David acknowledges this human reality. I am worn out. I'm beat up. I am tired. I am soaked because of all the tears uh, that have happened. Now, I feel that. And I can, I can talk as a raging extrovert about this quarantine thing not really working for my disposition. But there's a lot more. Um, last week, uh, a dear friend of mine named Marco, he lives in San Diego. Marco and I grew up together and, uh, uh, in Detroit. And uh, he was a couple years older than me but really was somebody that I admired. He's been a, a faithful friend of mine. He's also one of just my ministry heroes. Uh, he's been in ministry uh, for 35 years. Uh, the Lord uh, moved him to San Diego. His family still lives in Detroit. And Marco has become uh, an incredible coach for pastors around the country, specifically youth pastors. And he's been a dear friend and advocate. We have done ministry together. We've traveled together. Um, he's just one of my oldest faithful friends. And uh, last week, um, Marco um, sent a note to a bunch uh, to people that both his mom and dad on two separate days um, had gone into two different hospitals because of COVID-19. Uh, and then, uh, and so they were in two different hospitals in two different rooms and his sisters lived there, but they weren't allowed in to see them. Uh, and then just a few days later, um, Marco uh, sent word that his mom had passed from Corona. And then two days after that, he let us know that his father had passed as well. And this has been extraordinarily weighty for me because I feel so much parallel to Marco. We grew up in the same city, the same church. Our parents are the same age. They know each other. I feel far from home at times. Marco feels far. He can't get home. 
And so we had this experience, but to lose both parents in two days and not be able to be there. And I'll tell you what, I have, I have drenched my couch with tears. And my body and my soul from bones to soul have been in agony. And this is a real, this is a real thing that's happening. And so for many of us, when I read this, when David says, I'm worn out, my eyes grow weak, I understand that. I feel that. And I think when we read this, many of you are going to say, yeah, I feel that too. Let's finish and uh, um, let's, uh, let's move on to the, um, uh, the, the final section here. And let's see if we can see the aha moment. So I want to read verses 8 through 10. It says this. So David says, after all of this, he's acknowledging this. He's acknowledging that his foes are, um, are rising up against him and they're, and they're, and they're threatening him. And, but he makes this declaration. He says, away with me. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy, and the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. And so, so this is what I think is happening at the end. I think this is where David has his aha moment. He essentially says this. God has saved me. God has forgiven me. Uh, God has turned his kindness and his love towards me. Yet my enemies are still attacking me. But he says, you know what? Enemies away from me, depart from me. You're going to get what you deserve in the end. Um, whatever You're going to get what's coming to you. And whatever you're doing to me right now is temporary and minor in comparison to something bigger, greater, and, and more profound. And this is where David has this aha moment. In verse eight, it says, um, for the Lord has heard my weeping. Now, um, it is hard to translate Hebrew into English. It is harder to translate Hebrew poetry into English because you have to figure out what they're saying. And sometimes we will um, um, def uh, define it certain ways or interpret it certain ways. And sometimes we leave words out because we're, they want to make it sound um, rightly poetic and not literal. But the literal translation of verse 8 is not for the Lord has heard my weeping. It is for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Let me rephrase that. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Our weeping speaks. It speaks words. It has a language. And God hears those words. Our cries to the Lord is a language that he hears and communicates with. Our groaning speaks the truth of our soul to bones to God, even when we can't find the words. The Lord hears the voice of your weeping. He doesn't hear you blubbering on the couch. He hears the words that are rolling out of your soul. It is a language that he communicates with. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, for the Lord accepts my prayers. Now, the, the word for accepts is this word, lakak, and it means to take or to possess or to seize. It's to take possession of. It is the same word used in the marriage covenant, I, Mike, take you, Anne, to be my wife. I, Anne, take you, Mike, to be my husband. The word take there is the word that's used. Lakak is that where you take and you pull in and you close tightly and you hold on to and you covenantally commit that I'm going to hold fast to this to the rest of my life. And David says, my God hears my words, gathers me in and holds on to me like a bride and groom, 
in a Hesed forever, unfailing, loyal love that will never, ever, ever be let go. My God hears me and he gathers me and he possesses me and he owns me and he says, I am with you, I'm for you, I defend you, I'll cry with you. Why did Jesus weep at the tomb of Lazarus? Because he heard the cries of the sisters and Jesus wept with them. He heard the voice of his friends. He gathers us in. And he holds on to us tightly. And he said, I will never, ever ignore you. And I will never let you go. That is the Hesed loyal love of God. He hears and accepts our prayers. And I think as David is saying, listen, life is hard and tragic and it's constantly full of crisis. And my enemies are coming at me all the time. But in the midst of that, I know my God is with me and he is for me. The profound aha is that Jesus say, or God saves and God possesses. And that is the life of Jesus Christ. That is his life, death, burial, resurrection. Um, That is the totality of Christ's life. That is the loyal life of Jesus. We long for redemption. We long for restoration. But we also long to find ourselves fully satisfied in God. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, a couple centuries ago, said, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can truly be satisfied. And David discovered the satisfaction. And so for us, our enjoyment, our satisfaction, our happiness is in Christ, in Christ alone. The embodiment of the divine Hesed, the author and perfecter of our faith, the forgiver of our sins, the one who calls us friend, the one who embraces us, the one who possesses us, the one that holds on to us forever, knows us intimately inside and out and says, come to me, remember me, repent of your sins, allow my death, the blood of my death and the resurrection of my death, forgive you of those sins and return to me. That is Jesus. And so for you today, May you know that salvation is is here. It's right here. And that you would remember Christ and you would repent of your sin and you would return to him. And then also may you know that, that God and Christ and the Spirit hears you, hears your voice audibly and in your groaning, gathers you and holds tight to you and promises you over and over, I will never, ever, ever let you go. And to that, We say amen. Amen.